The Athletic. Hello, listener. I'm Carl Anker, and welcome to Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. This week, we are recovering from two big cup games for Manchester United, and we're also going to go through a bumper mailbag. Help me go through all of your burning questions, queries, and comments. I have the best midfield partnership in Manchester. Some critics are calling it even better than that of Fred and Tomine. Coming up first, it's my fellow beat reporter for Manchester United. It's Laurie. Oh, Laurie, how are you doing? I'm good, Carl. I'm either Fred in that equation, um, which after Sunday's performance doesn't speak great volumes, I don't think. <laughs> I play football a lot like Fred. Uh, the ideas are all there. My execution is terrible. And don't ask me about what I'm doing on my weak foot. Also with me, uh, if Laurie wants to be Fred, then Andy Mitten, the editor of United We Stand and contributing right to The Athletic, is probably Scott McTominay. Scott McTominay wore a really, really good suit in the Sunday Times this weekend uh, with a bow tie. Andy, how would you wear a suit? Not as well as him. And I, I wouldn't be able to run 5K as fast as him either. He's a, he's a proper athlete. It's from Lancaster, Morecambe, isn't it? So what can I say? I mean, I've watched Lancaster City play. I've been to Morecambe. The first place I ever kissed a girl in my life was on the fair at Morecambe when I was 13 years old. If you're listening to this, love, it was a long, long time ago, but I'll never forget it. The first of many. I don't know what to say now. I'm just, just digging myself love- an hole here, aren't I? <laughs> I love this podcast. You ask Andy a question about wearing suits and you find out where he had his first kiss. Right, listen, before we get started, you can subscribe to The Athletic for the special price of $3.99 a month for the next six months. That is 40% off the full price of subscription. You can enjoy great analysis and then that features from the very best football writers around as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. To take advantage of this, all you need to do is go to theathletic.com slash manunitedpod. That's theathletic.com slash manunitedpod. Right then, United bested AC Milan in the Europa League, but they lost to Leicester City in the FA Cup quarterfinals. Uh, Laurie, you covered both these games for the Athletic. Thank you for covering during my uh, weird shoulder injury. What did we learn about Manchester United this week? From Solskjaer's perspective, they can't compete to the end of competitions on three fronts, I suppose. Um, the Europa League was a really good performance in the end, a bit sketchy first half, but Paul Pogba changed the dynamic and, and they were deserved winners um, in that one. And I think if you're going to, you know, if you have to make a choice out of the two matches, I think progression in the Europa League takes precedent and a good win in Milan takes precedent in San Siro over an FA Cup quarterfinal against Leicester that definitely was disappointing but I'm not as wounded or I don't know I'm not as critical about Solskjaer or United certainly United players I will be critical of but the the way that that match ended up going I'm not as critical as I think perhaps you know yourself or Andy might be um, just because I can see that Solskjaer made the changes he did because you know they played in, in Milan and you know we should still United should still have a team that can beat Leicester for sure. You know, they had injuries themselves. Uh, they have a, a much a squad built on a, a fraction of the cost. I think Solskjaer probably made a bit of a rod for his own back with the comment about trophies being a bit of an ego thing, which to be fair, I think in the fullness of the quote, doesn't seem as sort of dismissive of silverware as some people have interpreted it. He's basically saying, listen, league progress is the real thing. That's the real barometer of Manchester United's success. Titles, it's not the FA Cup and League Cups. We, you know, United have won those competitions. 
you know, if Solskjaer had won the FA Cup and finished fifth in the league, would he have stayed in the job? No, Louis van Gaal can answer that question. He got sacked. Jose Mourinho got sacked because United were down the table in the league and, you know, the mood around the place was pretty disastrous. So that's what Solskjaer's getting at there. He's not sort of saying that we don't want to win trophies. He actually then went and qualified it and said, if we keep playing well, we will win trophies. It's just that at this moment in time, United squad, the quality beneath that first 11 is obviously not, up to the standard to then go and beat a team like Leicester, who are very well coached by Brendan Rodgers. He's a fantastic manager who've got really good players. They've recruited fantastically over the years. You know, I was looking at Yuri Tielemans and once again, sort of wishing that that summer in 2019 had gone a different way. I was, I was covering Leicester at the time for the Daily Mail when he was on loan at the club. And I just thought he had a lot of quality about him, you know, real class an engine, very young, £40 million. It looked like a, a straightforward deal to go and do. United obviously gone and spent £40 million on a different player and we'll, we'll come to him, I'm, I'm sure. But that was perhaps a main issue with United's team in, in that you've got a, a guy like Donny van der Beek coming in for Bruno Fernandes and they're just different players. And that's not a criticism of Donny van der Beek, but the way that United play with Bruno Fernandes in the team is is drastically different to Donny van der Beek. And is that an issue that Solskjaer needs to actually manoeuvre and, and contend with? Or was it always going to be the case that, that Donny would need to take a bit of time to adjust? Or was it always, you know, the wrong transfer to do last summer? You know, we'll, I suppose, see still in the, in the fullness of time. I'm still sort of not willing to write him off at all just yet. But it was another game where you sort of were left wondering, is this going to work ultimately? And and he wasn't the worst, you know, he wasn't the worst player. We've already mentioned Fred. Uh, Anthony Marshall again was, you know, up front, drifting into those wide positions, not showing the aggression to get in the box as you'd like your centre forward to do. I, I don't know where that Man City performance went. You know, just, just do that again, Anthony Marshall. That's that's what everyone's crying out for. So I don't know what the, what the issue was there. But I think ultimately it showed that United need... More quality, really, if they if they are going to advance. But it, it was the FA Cup, and United have had a, you know a long proud history with the FA Cup. It was Sir Alex Ferguson's first trophy, and I made in the piece was that if United don't win the Europa League this season, it'll be five years by 2022 when they could you know win the next trophy, and that that gap is the longest since Ferguson won the FA Cup in 1990, and that is a an unbecoming uh, feature for a club of United's history. And I want to get your thoughts here in the Q and A section. Very often on match days, I see a lot of commenters using the Andy Mitten scheme for uh, how good United do, which is basically top four and a trophy, which is something you mentioned here before. Um, are you still committed to this barometer? Manchester United, top four and a trophy, and that's a good season? Yes, I am. And I'm disappointed still. And Maybe I need to grow up a little bit about that result at Leicester because the win in Milan was fantastic. If United did win the Europa League and did finish, I, I'd go just to, I'd say second. <laughs> I'm getting greedy now. I think you could say that this has been a progressive season for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. If they don't, then you'd struggle to to say that. And I think that should be judged at the end of the season. And that's when any contract talks should start with regards to Ole's future. And trophies are important in United's history. I, I agree with Laurie, um, the full context of Ollie's quotes. It got warped a little bit. And I think when you're the manager of United, you've got to be you've got to be careful of that. And Ollie speaks really, really good English, but it's not 100%. There's sometimes little things. And Josie Mourinho had, and Louis van Gaal had this a lot more. Things just 
don't quite shine all the, all the time. And I remember asking Ollie two or three weeks ago, I said, there's been a dip in form. And there had been, you know, United had won like one in six or in the league. He went, no, I disagree. And I thought, how can you disagree? And it was just two people looking at the same thing in a slightly different way. I felt that he didn't think there'd been a dip in performances, but United were shattered going into the the game at Leicester. And, and I was in Milan in the stadium and I got told, uh, right, we've done this now and we've got to go again. We've literally got 48 hours and it's not a big squad this and we have got to get, and we are getting the absolute best out of these players every three to four days. And it is really difficult thing to do. But you get greedy. You you want to see your team win cup competitions. Leicester have been brilliant. They've got a very good manager. It's a big success story. But United's record against Leicester has been exceptionally good. And you can't help but hope for more. I thought United should have beaten Leicester in the league away. And we're unlucky not to. They conceded that, that late, late goal. But United didn't deserve anything from that game on Sunday. And it, it just frustrates you when people like Donny van der Beek do get a chance and they're so underwhelming. And I know there's very various reasons for that, but that wasn't a one-off. I remember watching him very closely in the, the Watford game and he was a six out of 10 player. And I'll cut one more slack. I'm patient. I'm optimistic. I, I've seen other players leave Ajax and I've mentioned it before. Frankie de Jong was really poor after playing in that Ajax system for so long when he went to Barcelona. Now he's one of Barca's most important players. Matthias De Ligt is the same. And we've mentioned on here before when I spoke to Stephen Pienaar at Ajax, he said, give him time, be patient with him. It's a huge jump. And I get all that. And I'll be as patient with him as I was with Fred, who had a horrific first season. Now, Fred might be more of an issue because he was the worst. That was the worst I've seen him play uh, for United on Sunday. So I'm still disappointed about Leicester. If United continue that brilliant away form in the league, just continue in second. I mean, that would be more than I expected at the start of this season. I did not think United would be finishing above Liverpool. I, I thought third was the best place that United could finish this season. So second would be good. There's no trophy boards with United finish second, but we've got to be realistic. This is where United are at the moment. But when that draw was made at half-time, and I thought, oh, we can get to a final without being knocked out by City in the semi here, then your hopes go up. But I thought United were really, really poor. Now, the Europa League, I think it's a pretty favourable draw with Granada and might even help United more if that game's played out of out of Spain because I know Real Sociedad felt really disadvantaged playing in their home leg in, in, in Chirim. United have, have got to, at some point, win trophies. It's the glory game. It's glory, glory, Man United. It's about, if I look at my childhood, I remember the 83 FA Cup win, the 85 FA Cup win, slightly too young for the 79, and as great, great moments. Don't remember going mad when United finished second in, in 88, because Liverpool had, had ran off with the league just like Manchester City have done. So trophies matter. I'm not bothered about the bottom line or what it means financially that's second to me to to the silverware so in answer to your question yes i'm still pissed off about sunday there are reasons for for van der Beek's tough adjustment to manchester united and laura you've spoken about this too van der Beek, we've written about him before on this 
and uh, we've covered him a lot in this podcast. His best position is probably the number 10 position. So replacing Bruno Fernandes, but it's not quite clicking. Laurie, you just followed this Leicester City game. What do you think is going wrong? The way he, he plays the game is just different to, to Bruno. So, and and when you when a, a team has been set up so instrumentally around the number 10, um, it then takes other players time to adjust. I would like, and I'm sure this is what he's being told, but I, I would like him to be just more progressive in, in what he does. His first pass was was good, actually. Um, it was sharp into Martial. I think it was the first time one out, out to the wing and it sort of, again, put Leicester on the back foot. But then the, the couple of moments that he got the ball after that were first time passes backwards. And listen, I mean, Yuri Tillerman scored his goal after a move, 28 pass or whatever it was, where he, he played the ball backwards a couple of times. But then the third time he got it and did a one-two around Nemanja Matic and he's driving at, at, at the opposition defence. I haven't seen Van der Beek drive in that, way. Um, he did do it in the second half when uh, there was a counter-attack. There was a, a ball down the touchline and he kind of wrestled off his you know, wrestled his man off him and broke away, gave it to Martial. But then he sort of jogged behind Martial rather than burst to make an option for for, for him. So I, it just I just want more oomph from him every time I see him. And listen, he's not, you know, I don't think he's played consecutive, I don't think he's started consecutive games all season. Uh, Forgive me if I'm wrong, but he certainly hasn't had a run of games. So obviously that's going to be a factor when you're coming from, you know, another country into a club at the scale of Manchester United. But I do worry, I mean, you mentioned there, Andy, about other Ajax players. Another player that it was mentioned to me this week was Davy Klassen, who obviously went to Everton. And I know he, you know, isn't judged to be at the standard of, of uh, Donny van der Bey, but he was part of a successful Ajax team, you know, in the Europa League, you know, a really lauded uh, team. Um, and he just went absolutely nowhere at Everton. Um, and uh, he had his own problems, I suppose. They, they had the, their own number 10 issues that season with Wayne Rooney and, and Gilfie Sigurdsson. But um, that is the, the kind of, just the, the devil at the back of my mind. I'm thinking, is it going to ultimately sort of slip, slip that way? You hope for the best from him. You wish that he can make an impact because these are the kind of games where you know, Solskjaer's giving him his chance. That's why I'm not, I feel like some of the people that criticise Solskjaer for making the changes that he made will also criticise Solskjaer for not giving Donny van der Beek a chance. And I know that, you know, maybe they say, well, you haven't given Donny van der Beek a chance in consecutive games, but why would he if he's got Bruno Fernandes making such an impact? And yeah, Bruno's not been perfect, but how can he justify playing Donny van der Beek over Bruno Fernandes at the moment? And I know other people might say, well, actually, you could play him in a deeper position. And that is something I'd be interested to see if he played in a number six behind um, Bruno Fernandes, you know, perhaps alongside Scott McTominay, you know, and just see how that developed. Or even maybe on the, you know, we've seen Paul Pogba on the wing, you know, maybe Donny could could do something on, on the wing there. I mean, a lot of things that he did for Ajax were breaking into the box late and, and arriving and, and, you know, can he do that off, off the wing position? So it would be interesting. So that's what I want to see a little bit more of. But again, the matches are, you know, these are the matches that he needs, you know, the FA Cup, League Cup, okay, maybe we'll see in, in some Premier League games because we'll have a few midweek fixtures, won't we, with United still progressing in the Europa League. So we'll wait and see. But yeah, it, it was another occasion where I was just left a little bit disappointed. We've got a question here from Carl Joseph, kjoseph45 on Twitter. Um, I'm going to ask this to you, Andy. It, it basically sums up everything you've been talking about. Is there something wrong with how Oli rotates his squad, resting players for an international break, but not during opportunities like Real Sociedad in the second leg? Seems odd. Do you think Oli has this squad management skills on point at the moment, Andy? When you look and with the benefit of hindsight, it's really easy to, to pick holes 
and, and I did it on Sunday. Why did Bruno not, not start the game? And had the result not gone against United, none of this is mentioned. So if you see whenever the United mm-hmm. team comes out, 80% of the, of the time, there's a negative reaction to it online. And there wouldn't be in the ground, I don't think. But online, there's a really negative reaction. And there's a lot of people who are like, prove me wrong. They basically set United up. You are there to prove me wrong. Well, who's decided that? And then they say, got to hold my hands up. I absolutely slaughtered him before the game. (laughs) But it all comes to the fore when matches are lost. And I can remember specifics. I remember being at Goodison in the Carabao Cup when Bruno started and people were saying, it's only the Carabao Cup. Why are you starting Bruno? That to me showed that Oli does want to win trophies because he's playing such strong teams. Yep. And it's not Liverpool out the FA Cup. He's had some tough draws. And people say, give Ahmad a chance, start the kids. You can't do that. He's the one who's watching them every day. I trust his judgment on that. I think he needs more from some players. I just don't think the squad is as good, anywhere near as good as, as Manchester City's. I think you've got players there who are decent seven out of ten players, but are you getting are they going to get into world elevens at the moment? No, they're not. And collectively, United when they click can be fantastic. You saw that game at City, and the feeling there was that United pressed so hard at the front. They knew that City were going to break the lines. They needed to ride the luck. So this United team needs to ride its luck to get results like against City. When that doesn't happen, like at Leicester, it just sinks into being really flat. And when United are bad, they're really bad. And I don't go for the revisionism of everything was great under Fergie. There were months and months when the football was was so, so bad. Some of the players have got to do more when, when they're chosen. And Donny is one of them. And you find with that people come out retrospectively say it wasn't a good moment for me. I had this issue going on. I had that issue going on. And all he's got to juggle all this and he's got to put a brave face onto things. And you know, my outlook on Cavani is not as positive as it was a month ago. He's, he's missing games again. He's missed games for four different reasons now. And he could have been someone who really lifted United season. He could have been a star at Leicester away. And he's, and he's been missing and it's not a very big squad. And the intensity of the games is showing at times. But then when you look into the stats, Bruno's knackered, he shouldn't be playing. And then then you look and think, well, he's actually running more than any other player. So if he's tired, why is he running more than any other player? I think sometimes theories can develop which aren't based on fact. And when the results go, go against United, they develop a life of their own on social media. And the only thing that puts that right is is a win. And unfortunately now we've got two weeks without a match. So you're going to have this cloud hanging over with a substantial number of people saying Ollie should go. And I think it's ridiculous, just ridiculous second in the league, still in the Europa league to sack a manager at this point. But I, from, from the numbers I can see about 30% of United fans would sack the manager. I'm not of that opinion. And with the, 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 the rotations, he, he has his reasons for doing it. We don't have to agree with them. You know, some of the most glaringly obvious ones, PSG at home, right? Why do you keep Fred on the pitch when he's a walking mm-hmm. red card? Well, I asked that question. 
And I was told because we didn't think that Matic is quick enough to stop those very fast PSG midfielders. So why have United not got someone who can do that? Well, there were a couple of injuries at the time. And it comes back to there's not enough absolute top quality in the squad. You, you need a couple more Bruno-class players so that you're not so reliant on Bruno. I'd hope that Cavani could have been one this season. De Gea was one, but he's now not even the first choice goalkeeper. So amid all the positives, there are some negatives and it just shows why the recruitment this summer is, has got to be right and has got to be better than looking what we saw last summer because still in play, but you know, has Cavani been a good signing? Jury's out. It is. When we talk about the squad needs to get better, is that primarily a question of transfers and ingoings and outgoings or is there something Oli can do right now in terms of the schedule he's got and the things he's got around him to make Donny be a bit more aggressive there's three things there's transfers there's improving the players you've got and there's bringing the players through from the youth system mm-hmm. I think Oli's Oli's done pretty good on all all three counts I think he's got a good eye for a player um, he would have brought Haaland in given a choice there's obviously a lot of competition um, for him. He would have brought Bruno Fernandes in earlier, given a choice. So there are restrictions with, with finances, which are the same at any football club in the world. I think you can point to a lot of players and say they've improved under Oli. Luke Shaw's probably the most notable one. You've got a young squad. Look, look at that defence we were praising after Milan. They're really young. Not, not really young. They're not teenagers. This isn't Ajax, but... It's like 22, 24, 25, 26. The average age of a United 11 is around about 24 years of age. So it's young. You would expect a lot of them to improve. You'd expect Marcus Rashford to become a better player. What starts worrying you is when Anthony Martial, who's a touch older, stalls. Because a year ago, he was progressing and then they stall. And that's when you think, are they at their level here? And then some smart recruitments. Roy Keane always said, if you've got great players, being a, being a great manager comes second because they'll find their own solutions on the pitch. And there are not a lot of great number nines out at the moment. United have not got a, a prolific goal scorer at the moment either. The, the, the right wing is still an issue. And, and Ollie's got a way up. You know, is Ahmad going to be ready to come in in a year or two? Is James Garner ready to going to be coming in a year or two? He's got a way all up. He's looking at the players every single day. What do you think, Laurie? Yeah, in terms of Garner, we had a question actually, Andy, from Johnny Casey, who basically had seen him do well at Forest. I mean, he got man of the match, didn't he, at the weekend away at Brentford. And um, yeah, I think he is somebody that United have always thought, could he could he actually make the first team? He's, he's done well for the 23s. He is more of a sitter. So to that number six role, it, it could open up you know, nicely for him. I think he was doing some of the dirtier stuff quite well at Forest. And he definitely got an eye for goal as well. You know, um, we, we talk about Fred shooting uh, and, you know, the, the, uh, the sort of fatherly clap of uh, round of applause from Solskjaer when, when he sort of hits one just past the post James Garner can definitely hit them uh, from, from different angles and, and uh, distances um, I would imagine that Solskjaer would want to have a look at him in pre-season and then decide whether or not he could actually incorporate him or send him out on loan perhaps to a, a lower level Premier League club I think that would be the next step because he's done you know 
okay at Watford. Um, and obviously then United um, ended that. I don't think he was playing enough for their liking, but he's, he seems to have really got the bit between his teeth at Forest. So he is one that I, you know, I, I quite enjoy watching and, and sort of seeing where he's going to go. It is a position I think that United need to improve on because you mentioned Matic there. He is, you know, he's, he's won the Premier League. He's, he's a really good player, but he's, you know, the wrong side of 30 by a decent way now. So you, you can't really rely on him being the guy regularly week after week. Um, and, you know, I think we've seen with Fred, if you could get an upgrade there, then that would lift the team. I've said it before, Manchester United need a defensive midfielder more than anything. I think a defensive... Jude Bellingham was was the guy. I mean, uh... I know Jude Bellingham's got uh, an offensive, um, you know, approach as well, but you look at the way he's adopted to life for uh, Borussia Dortmund and, uh, you know, for such a young player, you can only think that he's going to get better and he's, he's definitely got the mobility and smarts. He's very mature and I think he's an intelligent player. So I think that's why they were really keen to get him, but they didn't. <laughs> More questions from our mailbag. This one's for you, Andy. It's Rob Prapu on Twitter. Apologies for pronunciation if I got that wrong. Um, it simply asks, thoughts and insight into the Eric Bailly situation. He's probably one of the best defenders in the club, brackets, when fit. Uh, and that's the key part. So uh, for those catching up, Eric Bailly was trending on Monday uh, as a close friend, apparently, talked about how uh, the Avorian was unhappy with his position at Manchester United and the limited game time he had, and apparently said uh, he viewed it as that, a matter of disrespect. These were comments from the noted uh, and unnamed friend of Eric Bay. So was this just a Twitter trending topic or some quotes passing around, or is Eric Bay indeed unhappy in his role at Manchester United? The friend was actually Laurie. He just didn't include his name <laughs> when he was, he was the one who he, who he told it to. I've got his um, I think. <laughs> oh, mate. <laughs> With Bailly, there's been a few times in his time at United where he's not been happy and he's felt that he's not had the confidence of the manager. And there was certainly a time under Jose Mourinho where he felt that he'd be moving on. And I know that Ollie feels that when he's fit and in form, he's a very, very good defender. Uh, there's too often there's been a mistake in him and that that causes that's that's caused caused doubts best example of that is probably played himself into the team for the Tottenham home match because I think Lindelof was having a bit of a rough time and then within three minutes um, he'd made a mistake and when he's good you think why United even looking at central defenders and they have been doing but then I thought I think Lindelof's been decent in the in the last few weeks. Do you know anything more on on Bailly, Laurie? He, he played his way into the team in January. I think you know he, there was a match against Aston Villa that I remember um, at Old Trafford where he was absolutely superb, bringing the ball out, the dynamism. There's this idea that with him in the team, United can play you know five yards further forward as a defence, and you know that would then give a bit more room for. Um, you know, the likes of, of a midfield to push on and high press. And particularly if you've got Dean Henderson in behind, who I, I think, again, I know, you know some mm. questions about maybe the goals that were conceded at, at King Power, but actually I think overall, again, he was quite assertive and, and coming out of his goal quite quickly. So I think that's something just to, to know. But then, you know, in January, it, it, the issue with his car, you know, crashing his car outside Carrington and, and getting injured is just another a, a just mishap, I suppose, which, listen, it's it's no, it's an accident. It, it's not, not done deliberately, has it? But it then just means that the manager can't necessarily rely on him to, to pick him every week. And, and that's what you want from a defender. That is why for all the criticism Harry Maguire gets, 
that is why Ole Gunnar Solskjaer trusts him because he will play through pain. He doesn't get injured. If he does get injured, he, he takes a pain-killing jab and he, he continues on like he did last season when he had a hip problem for two months, playing more than any other player in the Premier League, et cetera, et cetera. So listen, that, that alone isn't a reason to, to have a player in the building, but if they combine that with, you know, general skills and leadership and what have you, then yeah, I think it is. So that's that's the issue with Eric Bailly. And, and listen, he, he might well be upset. You know, we haven't been able to confirm his current state of mind ourselves, but it wouldn't surprise me. You know, it sort of seems pretty reputable where it's coming from. So uh, yeah, I can understand that. But listen, they're in talks over a new contract. He's got a year left on his deal. United, from their point of view, they've done this before. They like to protect their assets by, you know, getting a player signed to a new contract. Whether that happens with Eric Bailly's situation, we'll see. Um, but yeah, I suppose it's just one to, to keep an eye on. Um, but I, I can understand it from all sides, really. I can understand the player's position and the manager's. Another question here from Carl Monaghan. Um, hello, Carl. I'm Carl. That's weird to read. Uh, fan of the podcast, and they want to know, what are the vibes of Edison Cavani staying on for another year? Uh, it seems to have cooled off as late. Um, he's picked up a few injuries just like his final season at Paris Saint-Germain and his father apparently has said he wants him being Cavani wants to play at Boca um, and you did say your feelings about Cavani have cooled as of late recently as well so I'm going to throw this one to you what is going on with the Uruguayan striker? I've got a little bit of sympathy for him I think it's another one where you can look at it from the player's perspective and the club's perspective from his perspective he's, <laughs> he's left Paris which is one of the best cities in the world and Moved to Manchester in winter during a global pandemic and living in a city where he doesn't he doesn't speak the language and then he's accused of being a racist and I don't think he is. So all those factors, I think, are enough to make you pretty unhappy. As for playing at Boca, well, Boca's one of the best grounds in the world to play at. The atmosphere is so much better than anything in England, but it's also empty at the moment. <laughs> so he might be looking at Argentina from an English winter thinking... I wouldn't mind being on the beaches there and popping back over to um, Punta del Este in Uruguay where life can be exceptionally good and looking outside and it's going dark at four o'clock in Manchester. I think he's trained well. I think he's been a good influence. Um, I just think he's joined at the wrong time. And I think it's really unfortunate. And he's had four different reasons for missing matches, but it started just the last couple of weeks when... He's just missing and, and the reason given is a knock and you think, where's this going now? And I just think it would be a great shame if he, who is a world-class striker, never played in front of fans at, at Old Trafford because potentially there's a cult hero there. I'd like him to stay another year. I still think he's a very, very good player. And we're just talking probably, you know, there's times when we've really talked him up. Southampton away was amazing. His goal, his movement for the goal at Goodison in the league was brilliant, and it's not been a it's not been a complete flop. But he needs he needs to be playing some games, especially when the other strikers are hardly entirely convincing themselves, are they? I mean, Greenwood's been playing well, but not been scoring much. Martial's not had a good good season, and Marcus has been playing with an injury. So you've got to be getting in the team. You've got to be starting, and you've got to be changing matches. I think I said earlier on this podcast that you should start Cavani every game until his legs fall off. Uh, so I apologise if his legs have fallen off. <laughs> One more question. This is from Nebiat Belichu. 
again, apologies for pronunciation. And this one's for you, Laurie. Uh, does Alanga and Hannibal signing new contracts mean they therefore get a few minutes in the first team going forward? I don't think it's a, a sort of clause or anything like that, or, a, you know, just because they've now got new contracts, that's what happens. But clearly, you know, it's the, the couple of players that United rate that they like. Uh, and I mean, Hannibal would have, uh, trained with the first team and pro- probably well, would have been involved in a squad, I imagine. Might not have actually got on the pitch. Um, maybe he would have done against Wales Sociedad if he'd not got this shoulder injury. So, from you know, you can have shoulder solidarity with Hannibal as, as well as Marcus Rashford, <laughs> Carl, because he, he, his his career has had a little pause just because of that um, you know in the Arsenal game under 23s he rolled it and he gets kicked all the time and he made his return actually um, against Spurs under 23s at the weekend and again got kicked and he's actually got his hair pulled uh, by a couple of Spurs players during a melee in which Ethan Galbraith got sent off it was pretty unsavoury actually and then he got clotheslined uh, by a player uh, who'd also pulled his hair who then eventually got sent off so he, he gets he gets absolutely battered in, in matches and uh, but he, he's He's really well thought of, you know, the way he reacts to um, that kind of attention. I think he's got better at and um, he certainly isn't, you know, cowed by it. He's quite hard, I think. So, um, yeah, I'm sure in time he will come back into the first team picture and and get some minutes. Sure, Tire's gone back. I mean, he, he played with the 23s in that game as well. So he's gone back down and I think maybe that, that that might be it for, for a little bit with him, just without you know the FA Cup being there and without uh, United now in the quarterfinal of the Europa League. Um, you know, I'm sure Solskjaer will rely on more established players. And Elanga, I mean, he he uh, he got an injury as well, um, uh, a collarbone injury that, that's kept him out for for a while. So you know, he's still I think recovering from that. And you know, maybe again, it's a situation of Solskjaer will probably try and have a look at them in pre-season, whatever shape that takes you know uh, with with the pandemic <laughs> allowing and then you know maybe it'll be loaned next season or maybe it'll be you know let's keep them around the first team picture um it's just one to gauge as as time progresses speaking of academy carl you've been quiet all week and there's another academy player at manchester united that uh, you have obviously been involved with closely and are we allowed to reveal on the the podcast that uh, we're getting the book cover from a certain Marcus Rashford. <laughs> yes, uh, listeners, by the time you get this, which is on a Wednesday, uh, so around about 12 o'clock on Wednesday, uh, a certain Mr. Marcus Rashford will be revealing the front cover of You Are a Champion, which is the book I've been working on with him very closely. So I hope you can enjoy the front cover. And uh, yeah, sometime during this week, during international break, I will be having another chat with him as we get the final chapters ready. It's all very exciting. Very exciting. Sounds great. I think we are at the end of this episode of Talk of the Devils. So thank you very much, Laurie. Cheers, Carl. Thanks for listening, everybody. And it's a thank you from me. Thank you so much, listener, for joining us for another episode of Talk of the Devils. We're a Manchester United podcast brought to you from The Athletic. There are 11 games, at least, for Manchester United between now and the end of the season. And we'll be sure to be covering every single one. We'll be seeing you sometime next week. Nice one. The Athletic.